This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. I'm back again today with one of my uh, HITS instructors that we're having. Uh, HITS 2022 is going to be in Orlando. We have an instructor this year that we haven't had teach for us before. We have Rick Hashenbrenner. He's a NAPWATA master trainer, and he's been around for quite a while, a uh, long time teaching uh, different uh, subjects and training dogs, and he's had a long uh, kind of varied police career. So with that, uh, I'll let Rick introduce himself. So how are you doing today, Rick? I'm doing fine, Jeff. Just sitting there watching the pull down right here in Southern Indiana. There you go. I'm sure it's a little muggy there, too. It's been awful. I've been in the midnight for most of the last couple weeks. Yeah. So Rick, for the listeners that I have that aren't familiar with you, can you kind of go over your, your police career and your dog your dog handling and training career also and kind of talk about uh, where you came from and what you're doing right now? Yes, sir. Uh, well, I started back in law enforcement in 1979 uh, with the Jacksonville Police Department. Got my first dog and became a handler in 1982. Carried a dog for approximately 22 years uh, for the police department. Spent the last 10 years as a shift commander major and a big canine commander. Had multiple dogs over that period of time, dual purpose, single purpose. Got involved with NAPWATA in 1982 when I got my first dog. That's when I did my very first certification. I'm a lifetime member now. I've been in NAPWATA since 1982. 1995, I became a master trainer. You know, I've been certified dogs to our national standard. Okay. Uh, the North American Police Corps Dog Association of NAPWATA, as we'll be talking about, has been around since 1977. We're one of the oldest associations out there. So I've been involved with them since 82, lifetime member, nine years past president. And in between my uh, police career, I own several businesses training law enforcement dogs and civilian dogs. I retired in 2009 after 30 years in law enforcement. Then I started contracting, went to work with the Department of State. I worked several contracts in Afghanistan for a contracting company. Then I worked for the Department of State in the country of Jordan for almost three years working with the military and with law enforcement dogs there. Uh, right now, I've been doing this for about 43 years, continuing yeah. 79. I'm still going. I'm still training hammer courses going around the country, doing conferences, instructing, and certifying dogs from Apple. I think I've certified probably 5,000 dogs or more since I became a master trainer and definitely, uh, appreciate the opportunity to come this year and speak at his. I've never been at his. I've been to a lot of other conferences. Already been to this year. Prior to this, I've uh, been looking forward to his. It looks like y'all going to have a monster trial. Yeah, it should be. we got well over a thousand handlers coming. So it's going to be it should be a good time. So I'll say right here, if anybody's listening and you haven't registered, we still have room. We always have room. We pick gigantic hotels to make sure that uh, we can accommodate anybody. So if you're listening to this today and this is what triggers you to decide to come to hits, go on the webpage. We can still sign you up. The rooms are still available as of uh, we're recording this in the middle of July. We have some rooms available. But whenever you listen to this, uh, check in. You can probably still get hotel rooms at our hotel. Like I said, it's a, it's a big hotel and we have a big crowd, so we should be able to accommodate anybody who wants to come. So, so I want to touch base on a couple of things on your, your background. Um, one of them is just for the listeners who are not familiar with Napwata, um, one of the things I'm not a NAPWATA trainer, but I've been around NAPWATA you know, through my business and when I had a magazine and stuff. And I know it's it's more of an East Coast organization, it seems to be, or Mid- Midwest to East Coast. So for people who are listening that aren't super familiar with NAPWATA, I think one of the things that, that I like about NAPWATA is it's extremely structured. So uh, to be a master trainer, you have to have a certain number of hours and stuff. So just kind of, I guess what I'd like to do is just you know, tell me what it took to become a master trainer because a lot of organizations, um, I think, you know, if you've been handled handler for three or four years, they'll, they'll do a quick thing and then you're a trainer or a title, you know, some type of title. But that's not the case with NAPWATA. So what was the, the process there? Okay, once you join NAPWATA and become a member, if you have some ambitions to go further and become a trainer, which is the first step and then become a master trainer, first thing you do is that you join, you have to get with the accreditation chairperson, you draw a packet. So you would draw a trainer packet. Takes you approximately three years to get the number of hours you have to have. You have to have a sponsor, a recommending master trainer who's already a current master trainer to recommend you. You have to have so many hours with him, depending on what discipline uh, you want to you know, go for, whether it's the detection or whether it's control, yeah. etc. But you have to have certain amount of hours with that sponsor. On top of that, you have to have critique hours from two different master trainers. The critique of you is you're out at a training venue. It takes three years before you can even test for a trainer. What you have to do is you draw in the packet, you have your sponsor, you have your sponsor hours, and you have your critique hours. You have to have your resume of the, of the things you've done and the years you've had and that, and that stuff. And then on top of that, you have to turn that packet in, and then the credential chairperson has to look and check all the boxes and make sure you've got everything in order. Once he's established that you've got everything that you need in your packet, then it gives you a letter telling you to appear at either the summer national workshop at a board meeting, or you'll be taking a test in an Orlando or a fall board meeting. Either one, you have to take a written test for the discipline you're going for. Once you take your test, you have to score an 80% or higher, or you can't even go in front of the board. So if you score lower than that, they tell you that hey, you have to do some more education because sure. you get to end up come back you know, a year later. Sure. Well, if you do get there, you need to go in front of the board. The board consists of five different master trainers, one being the accreditation chairperson. So you're sitting there in front of five different master trainers from all areas of the, of the United States with various uh, links of experience. They'll ask you questions on the test you might have missed and might have you, you know, elaborate a little bit deeper on it. If you pass that, the accreditation board then says, okay, you pass hours, then we make a recommendation to the executive board, you have to approve it. Okay. If you are approved and anointed as a trainer, then you start the process over going for master training. Again, you have to have critique hours. And it takes you another, probably about three years just to get the number of hours, everything you need to have. You turn another packet back in, and then they okay it, you gotta go back and take another test. 
another 8% or higher just go the whole, go the whole yeah. past that, and then you're going to a master trainer. So if you do everything right and you do it as quickly as possible, minimum amount of time it will take you to become a master trainer with that is six, uh, six years. Okay. So that's why I want to kind of go over that because uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's a very structured program and um, a lot of good things with that. So I tell people if they're listening, you know, go to, is it napwater.org? Is that? Uh, napwater.com. North American Police Workdog Association. Uh, so go to napwater.com and check it out. It's, it's always good to, to look at other organizations. One of the things I see traveling all over the country, probably like you do, is I think uh, sometimes we tend to get a little insular about which organization we're with. And I can tell you I have vast experience with all of them and pretty much every organization that I've seen has value in some way or another. So I just always encourage people to, to go look at all the different organizations, see what they offer, maybe something like involved in, at least read their standards and kind of see, see how your standards yes, are. You know. Yeah, we've got over 3,000 members currently from around the world and you know, we have a lot of good topics and we have great workshops, we have great sponsors. So yeah, check it out. They like to join, but they need to make sure they, they do certify through some type of nationally recognized association. Okay. And then I want to talk on your background. I just want to hit, uh, when you were contracting, you mentioned uh, you're overseas. So were you training the dogs that were going over to Afghanistan or were you in the country also training the dogs? Uh, both. There's one contract I was on. I, I was in charge of uh, training the explosive detection dogs. I was actually the, the lead trainer and in charge of the explosives and the, the printing detection work. Then I went over and worked in the field with the dogs that we sent over to maintain the proficiency level. So I was one of the contracts. Another one I went over, trained the basically mentored the handlers, their trainers, to give them the perspective of trying to get them equal to the Western standards that we, we yeah, strive for. Yeah. Trying to get them more in line with that. So I spent almost three years in that country working hand in hand with the, the government, their military handouts, and their uh, police departments. And on their explosive detection dogs, and I worked all the border entry checkpoints. And we made sure they were up to par and gave them pointers. And then we continued training their handlers and trainers. I've been back now about two years, I guess, give or take. And I've talked to a lot of guys who've, who've done kind of similar type jobs. And, and uh, as a bomb dog handler myself, I've you know, never been overseas. But I think uh, from what I've been told by you know, some of my friends who have done it, and I'm sure you, know, you have your experiences, that really matches it up a notch. Because you know, luckily in the US, we don't find a lot of bombs. If, if we did, I probably wouldn't be a bomb dog handler because I don't want bombs. But, but I know over there, you guys are, you know, you're, 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 the dogs are out working and saving lives and stuff. So did, was there anything that, that you looked at when you were out there in the middle of a, you know, a, a true war zone that you thought, you know, here's something we do in the U.S. that doesn't make as much sense. You know, I want to change things because of, of real life, everyday experiences that you had over there. Well, you know, you know one thing over there, we're training the handlers and the handlers are going out. And they got the boots on the ground. Of course, yeah. I was out the boots on the ground. Now, when I was in Jordan, I was out about everywhere. And I was at the checkpoints. I was watching the working dogs. But when I was in Afghanistan, of course, I, I was inside the war, not outside the war, but I always talked to the guys that were sure. out. But, uh, you know, they're... I mean, we're, I guess in the States, you get so complacent and you get a full dog Henry, you can get very complacent because you go day in and yeah. day out, weekend, weekend, you don't ever find anything. It's not like narcotics where you're, you're hoping yeah. to find the big loads and you're finding stuff quite often, but like these days, you can go almost your career and as an explosive dog handler, never get a positive alert. But over there, you really find so much that, you know, those handlers take everything very seriously yeah. because, you know, they understand the threat level. They're so much higher yeah. and they're always on warning. And everything they do, there's always that very great potential that somebody could be there. So, you know, they're, they're definitely told they don't get complacent really. And that's when I see, you know, states I train that, you know, we can joke and joke around a lot. But, when you get out to do the actual search, you know, you got to take the stuff exactly. seriously. You never know the time and place. It's not when. It's going to happen. Yep. You just don't win. But over there, and they looked at that every day. So that was one thing I looked at. I could see the differences that over here in the state, people get complacent because they don't see anything. They don't think it'll ever happen where they're at. Over there, it's like, you know, no matter where I go, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to happen so sooner or later. I just got to make sure it doesn't happen on my watch right yeah. behind you first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just think it's a it's a great experience that I hope again, how people are listening. You know, if you know people who've done some of the contracting overseas and you're a, dog, a bomb dog handler, you reach out to them because uh, you know, let's drink a lot of your fire hose over there compared to you know the pace of, of stuff we do here as bomb dog handlers. So right. I think it's a it's probably a lot of lessons learned. And like you said, it's going to happen here, and they test their you know evil intentions over there a lot before they bring it here. So it's going to happen there. So if it's happened over there, you know maybe we should understand how they did it and, and start thinking of ways to, to try to thwart their efforts. So yes, sir. moving on to uh, your class this year, um, we, you're teaching class for the first time. So let's talk about that uh, the title of the class and then kind of uh, where the class come from, and then we'll talk about some of the stuff that, that you're going to teach in the class. Well, the class that I'll be teaching is the environmental factors and how it affects target order. And that class came from obviously you have a ton of experience. We kind of went over that. So we talked before the show that you just saw some some different things that were common as you travel around, and that's where this class kind of started. So uh, kind of walk me through that how the class started. Well, like you and I talked to just prior to coming on here is myself and Paul Bunker, owns Ron Canine. Him and I worked together at contracting company up on East Coast about 10, 12 years ago, and we worked together for several years. And as we were training dogs and training instructing cameras and doing conferences, one thing that we both came to an agreement on that we thought was missing in the in the canine world was education. That a lot of the handlers that were coming up, you know, whether you were a narcotic dog handler, an explosive dog handler, or whatever just when you were in, but you know, they weren't getting a lot of education. You know, there was a lot sure. of courses, you know, these vendor courses that are two weeks, five weeks, eight yeah. weeks. But you know, they're getting dogs out and one of the main things it looks like most of vendors were trying to do for any handler, and you can see why they do it, is get as many repetitions with a dog yeah. and move together. They, they want repetition. And which makes total sense. But then on the other flip side of that is they're not getting a lot of education is what you know the best way to actually deploy the dog in operational environments. Sure. So, you know, Paul and I talked about this and one day we just decided, well let's put a class together, let's put a course together, so we go out and teach it and kind of touch on different aspects of it and try to educate handlers so at least when they, they come out of this course, you know, hopefully you know, they'll have a better idea of how to deploy the dog. Because what we came up with, you know, to enable your canine to detect the target odor, you know, for, for which it has been trained, is how to locate the source. 
Exactly. With the handler, you know, can assist their dog if they understand how the target odor is, you know, is affected by the environmental conditions that they're working in. And by placing them in the most productive locations, they're going to be a lot more successful. So and let's go back down once real quick. Um, in the environment, you're talking about temperature, the availability of odor, wind, right. everything, right? So Right. We look at the first thing we look at is temperature, whether it's hot or cold. What is just hot or cold just by itself? What does that do to target odor? So we, we look at that. And there's, you know, I've got videos. i got some 3D images sure. that, that I'll have in the PowerPoint that kind of shows this. We go from temperature, and then we go to current, air current, wind current, inside and out. How does current affect us? Yep. Strong, mild. And how they need to start putting together temperature with current. How does that affect odor? Yeah. How does that make how much odor is available to you? Makes a big difference because we know that certain temperatures get really cold. The molecules get extremely dense. They don't move a lot. Yeah. So we know that dogs are going to be closer to source. It's not going to be that nice cool odor. And then we look at ground, you know, buried odors. We look at we actually there's a part of here that we you know talk about the nose and how it actually works. Okay. How you compare that to the structure and the signals that you send to make sure you send the right signals. So we look at you know that type of stuff. And as we go through it, you know we're talking about available odor. How much is available and why is it available? Then we um. You know, look at uh, I look at how how odors mask and how does that affect it and how does that affect you know what the dog sure. can and can't do and I look at container and non containerized training aids sure. how does that affect the one so just putting out let's just say if you're doing a, a quick quick uh, training and you put out a block of C4 you unwrap it you sit on a, on a uh, you know a piece of paper you know and you put it in a locker and lay it down close the door with it you got you got you know pretty abundant of odor sure it makes it pretty easy so if you're doing a certification you know we always want to yeah. make sure we have abundance of odor available so we know the dog knows the odor and how to read but that's not operational so if you look operationally okay now I take that odor which I've got a lot of surface area I know that available odor for the dog to hit now let's take that and let's put that odor that block into a bag. And put it into like a backpack. Sure. Put that backpack in a locker. Yeah. All of a sudden, I change the dynamics. Yep. How does that work now? How much older is that? Does your dog recognize that odor? Is there enough of a picture there for him to say, yeah, I still recognize that, and, and I'll throw at least enough change for him to recognize it? Yeah. Maybe a final response, or he just ignored because that's not what he's seeing. So, you know, that stuff's covered, and why it makes a difference. Sure. And that's things we look at. So, so that's why I want to go deeper on that, that exact thing because I've had a decent experience doing stuff very, very similar to that. Your experience on that, so that exact scenario, what's your experience when you actually don't just have the, the train aid sitting you know, next to the vent in the locker? What, what are you seeing on those? Well, you'll see a lot of dogs, and that's where we, you know, you come into wanting to educate a handler, correct? Yes. Because the handlers, you know, a lot of times they go through courses, of course, everything is there, so there's adequate amount of odor for the dog, and they're going yes. to a basic, basic course, and that's what it is, it's a basic yes. course, but there's usually quite a bit of available odor for the dog. Well, then you come into training, or you come to a workshop, or, you know, someone, myself, or whomever's yeah. running a venue, and you come through, and you're pretty, pretty new handler, all of a sudden, I put that like a scenario together, kind of mock you what maybe a real device would be hidden in, or yeah. even narcotics, you know, because most people aren't going to leave tons of, uh, yeah. you know, drugs just sitting out there. They're going to try to package them, they're going to try to mask them, but you'll do this in a, in a venue, and a dog handler and a team will come through, and the dog might show some subtle changes that, you know, I see, or another trainer or master trainer might see because they know where the substance yeah. is at. Yeah. But the handler just walks through, doesn't see it, the dog doesn't give a final, doesn't stay with it, and, and walks away, and say, oh, there's nothing in there. And you start seeing, did you not see that subtle? Yep. Change behavior. Not didn't see that because they've never seen that. Because yeah. they've yeah. never, and the dog hasn't seen that picture. And that's how I kind of describe the dog's nose and I covered in, in the class what he actually sees and how he sees his world. Of course, we you know we know he sees his world with his nose, and then he gets pictures in his mind of what something should look like. And all of a sudden, you know, it's not all there. Yep. That picture that he's used to seeing, there's pieces missing. Will he generalize that? Yeah, that's still the same thing I'm looking for. Or will he just throw a slight change and leave it? Like that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not being paid on that. Yeah. So I said we have to teach the dogs to be able to generalize this because that's what we're going to see in operational deployments, whether it's you know for whatever discipline yeah. they're in. Things that are in operational deployments are not the same as we do in a basic class, and that's why this class was put together because we wanted to educate handlers to say, this is what you need to look at. And I tell people all the time, you know, with the GPS capabilities on our phone for weather, you can check the weather conditions where you're at. And it gives you a pretty decent idea of temperature, wind, wind direction, you know, humidity. Humidity plays a part in it because humidity is moisture. Moisture can attract molecules and it's evaporated with the sun. I said, and we still said, you can get that right there. So, so some of the stuff that's you know, going to be taught at the class will at least give handlers a good basic foundation of what to look for, what conditions are there, I carry a puffer. You know, I use a wind indicator puffer. They got some real nice electronic ones now that produce smoke. I just use the old wind indicator for hunting puff sure. powder, yep. but I watch it. And I say, when I'm setting out training aids for training, I'll puff the area I'm at because I want to see how the odor's moving there. And the reason I want to be is I want to see where the dog, I think the dog will hit it first to see how he'll trail back to source. I tell all hands carry this because this little puffer, which doesn't take any room, don't cost you about two bucks. Yeah. I said, I can give you a pretty daggone good indication of wind direction and air currents inside the building because a lot of people don't think about current buildings. And I said, you know, so I'll cover that in class and I'll bring this stuff out. I even have an infrared thermometer I carry in my pack because I can click it and check temperatures in various parts of, of the room or outdoors and see based on what I'm looking at on the temperature. Saying based on that, I'm saying this is where the odor should go. Yep. And, and these are little things that they're kind of just you know, little things you can put in your, your toolbox that'll help you out in future reference. I've had people call me and tell me, hey man, our dogs are walking this odor in this location. Okay, you think the odor's bad? Thanks, bad place. I don't know, man. All the dogs are missing. Well, we'll go there, use the puffer, and all of a sudden they, they have the odor fairly high, you know, over yeah. five, six feet high. It's being pulled straight, straight up, up to the ceiling because yep. they're in the jaw stand pulling yep. all the odor outside. Yep. I said, 
Adult is not driving. It's all rising. It's going out the building. Adult is not available. Adult, unless he doesn't even stand over six feet. And I said, man, I just didn't realize that. Yeah. So the little things. So that stuff that'll be covered in class. And that's why I'm really, I'm really excited about this class for those reasons. Because while you know, I think for you and I, I think, I think you're on the same page. We've never trained together, but because we're on the same page, that you know, when I set up a training aid, I have all that in my mind because I've just gone over it so many thousands of times that it's just kind of second nature. But then I find, probably as you do too, that a lot of handlers in these quick uh, courses don't really get that. They just get the dogs that, what I, what I refer to as the dogs that if they're punched in the nose with the odor, they do really well. And then when you don't punch them in the nose with the odor, then they, they kind of hesitate because they aren't taught all of these different factors to think about and, and you know, kind of the problem solving is what they're doing. So that's why I'm really looking forward to the class. I think there's going to be a lot of people who will pick up a lot of good stuff out of it. Well, I, I definitely hope so. I really appreciate that. You know, it's nothing to do with the vendors. The vendors are Absolutely. spending a certain amount of time training the dogs Absolutely. with discipline. Yeah. And you, know, you look at administrators nowadays and the budgets for strength yep. they've got, they can't allow an officer probably to be gone for 10, 12, exactly. 14 weeks. We used to do it 15, 20 years ago. Yep. They can't do that anymore. And it's all about getting an officer a piece of equipment that's going to be beneficial to the, the community and the department and getting back as quick as possible. Yep. But I'll tell you, what, I'll tell you where, where I will put the responsibility, though, is then handlers you know, need to reach out to, to you know, larger training groups in their area and go to some of these national events and stuff and do things that they're not comfortable with, do the things their dogs wow. don't do really well and work on it. So if you know if they if they go through a school and they think it should be an easy search because there's a C4 and a locker in a backpack and their dog doesn't do it, take that as well. I'm sure what I saw here and start getting better and challenge yourself. As, as you see, probably what I see sometimes is, you know, maybe the, the dual purpose bomb dog guy spends more time doing the patrol stuff because it's more fun. And it's actually more fun. And it's something they're going to probably yeah. your dogs a whole lot more yeah. uh, than they would be on the detection side, which like I said, you know, unless you're in a very, very, very busy yeah. area with a lot of large venues, you know, you know, I mean, I guess probably most of your explosive detection dogs in a smaller town might only get five to 10 call outs yeah. a year. Yeah. Uh, and then, but the patrol side, they'll get a lot more. Exactly. So, like, you're right, they will, they will work on that a whole lot more. And I think some of that, some of that brings into complacency because, you know, now they're only using their dog for five or 10 yeah. deployments a year, probably less than once a month, and once every other month. Uh, so, they don't. Take it seriously because I've had, you know, I've had you know, a dozen yeah. calls in the last year and I haven't found anything. Yeah. They're always the same thing. Okay, yeah. but you got to be on your toes because you know how that how that goes. Yeah, that one time you think it's not going to be serious, that's when the, you know, it hits a fan. And I tell you, that's why I think it's one of the harder disciplines to, to handle a dog for because of all that. And when I meet a guy who's maybe like a, a dual purpose bomb dog, patrol dog handler, and the dog is dynamite in both disciplines, and I talk to him and he's in that situation where he really doesn't get hardly any work on the bomb dog side, but yet the bomb dog side of his dog is dynamite. It tells me there's a, a passionate dog handler, you know, wants to be good at his craft and, and ready. Those are the, the people, are, I mean, I'm always impressed with those because it, it's, a, it's a hard thing to balance sometimes. And then, like you mentioned, there's time constraints with training and everything else. So it's a, it's a difficult thing, but it's, it's obviously it's very important. Yes, it is. I'm hoping you know, people come, enjoy the class. If they take one thing out of it, sure, sure. If they take something out of it, to me, it's, it's a plus and it's a positive. You know, I don't have any of these PhDs and I don't have any titles behind my name, like doctors or yeah. scientists or whatever, but I do have a lot of ground, hands on experience exactly. throughout, throughout the country. And I've seen a lot. And of course, of course, like you, Jeff, and you've been around forever, too. You know, we learn by our mistakes as Absolutely. well. But Absolutely. I'm just trying to pass on information and uh, that would hopefully make it safer and sure. save someone's life. And that's what Paul and I were thinking. We, we, we talked about this 12 years ago, I think. And I continue teaching it. I keep continuing adding on to it as I see things yeah. I think could be better or something I think could be advantageous to handle. I add that to it as well. Oh, yeah. But so, then, like I said, there's some 3D graphs, some videos, some there's, there's graphs, and we'll get on talking points and, uh, and then teach them all about it. Yes. Uh, like I said, the things we talked about now, yeah. that's, what, that's what the class covers. So, hey, if they're interested and that uh, touches something they think they definitely need, definitely come out and, yeah. and uh, come. And so they going to have a big crowd and it's like going to be some fantastic instructors there. Yeah, I think, and we talked real quickly about the environmental stuff. Before we hang up, I want to talk real quickly. I, I imagine then after you go over your environmental stuff, then you have a training component. Is the, you know, so let's go back to the, the same one we've been talking about. The handler doesn't read the alert and uh, then you tell them where it is. What's your training progression? How do you help that handler before he, he goes back to his, his home base? Well, what we'll do is a lot of times if we get the dog showed any type of change of behavior, what we'll do is we'll pay the dog on sniff. Sure. You sniff pain on that. You can focus back, hey, this is something that I get paid on just like everything else. Sometimes we have to actually act up a step or two for that. Now open up yep. the locker, maybe unzip the backpack, put a little more over there so he gets a little bit better picture, something that he has a better change on that the handler can see. And then once he does that, we bring it back through and then we start working back to the right. So the only time we're doing training like that's always in a progression. You know, if the dog gets a time, if he does, we just back up. Sure. And then go into the training mode and do what we need to do with, like I said, it's a panel stiff, or we open the package up just a little bit more so the dog recognizes that picture, get it closer to the actual picture he's used to seeing, and then we just start compressing to the right a little bit by a little bit. And sooner or later, you know, it doesn't take any, you know, very good repetitions for a dog to actually get paid sure. and reward for a behavior. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, I get this. That picture is the same as this, even though I'm missing yeah. you know, a page or two. Yeah. And that's what we do. That's how we look at it. So when you're doing these, I know you do like the national seminars, you have a lot of drug dog handlers, a lot of bomb dog handlers, and now probably guns and uh, um, arson, you, you name it. So lots of different detector dogs. My point on this question is, is that when you have somebody and they do that, if the handler's got a good attitude and the dog is selected for the work he's supposed to do, have you ever had any dog that when you start working on them that they can't work over that hump? No, I've not. No, I have not. Yeah. Like I said, sir, if they're selected properly and you have a handler that definitely wants to learn and is eager to get his dog in that position and he's taking what you've given him and he's like, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. I'll keep doing it. No, because it's fairly exactly. easy to help a dog get to that point as you just, as you just come out. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, people are 
not just like the dogs better better today. Yeah. You know, they're learning more and more how yeah. to procure dogs, what to look for. So that, that helps out the whole process because, like you just said, you know, the, the better you procure the dog for the discipline you want to do, and he's like you know, almost a superstar, and you got a very good handler that's paired up with him. You know, it's going to be a pretty easy task to get into the, to the point we want because the dogs are learn very quickly. The handler is going to be able to see it. He's going to learn it as well with the team. So yeah. Yeah. it does make it easier today. Yeah, you know, like we didn't have these great dogs coming from overseas, and you know, we didn't have all this education and technology we have today to do research. Yep, I agree. As long as you have a willing handler, I think you probably would agree that if, if it doesn't work, it's usually on the other end of the leash. Yeah, you are. Anyway, um, I think we gave a pretty good overview of your class. I'm, I'm, again, I'm sincerely excited about them. And, uh, I'm usually a little bit busy during hits, but I always make sure I can uh, pop into a lot of different classes because I, I learn just as much as everybody else. So when they're always, I uh, take a lot away from it. So uh, if you like listening to this uh, type of stuff and you're a detection dog handler, you want to meet Rick in person. One of the things about hits it's, uh, that I always stress is the networking. So Rick will be there for several days. Now Pod's got a booth, so you can go by the booth and talk to him. You can see him in the evening when we're having some social hours. So there's plenty of time, not just in the class, to go around and meet all the instructors and pick their brains and, and do a lot of, it, of networking. So one of the big values of uh, hits is just being in the, the whole environment, not just sitting in the classroom. So I'm looking forward to it, Rick. Uh, it's about a month away, so we'll be uh, together in Orlando. Um, if you want information on this, you're listening to this, go to hitskine.net and uh, all the information is on. There. We've got plenty of space to register. There'll be uh, more than a thousand handlers there and over hundred vendors and uh, lots of great instructors, including uh, uh, Rick. So, Rick, I appreciate the time uh, coming on today and I'll be seeing you in just a few weeks. Yes, sir. I really appreciate the opportunity to come to your great conference and looking forward to it. Thanks again, Jeff. All right, thank you. Hits Radio. This is the official Hits Training and Consulting Podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. Hits Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too.